It's January 5th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. Grab your maps, because we're going around the world this morning, covering five briefs that are shaping America and the world. First up, we begin in Florida, where the Surgeon General there has warned people to avoid COVID vaccines made from mRNA technology. Second, we go to Brazil for a story about how Islamic radicals are trying to recruit people for jihad in that country. We're going to talk about what that means for us. Third, we cross the Atlantic Ocean a little bit later this morning to talk about three African countries and how your taxpayer dollars will be spent on new drone bases in those nations. Fourth, an update on the battle for the Indian Ocean this morning, going back to that region to talk about a Chinese spy ship. Fifth, we wrap up with a stop in Germany today, where farmers have been protesting for a number of weeks now, and they just won a battle against their own government. Later, a listener question today about Jeffrey Epstein asking me, was he a spy for Israel or the United States? I'll tell you what I know. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. Florida Surgeon General is warning his state's residents and the American people that they should avoid using COVID-19 vaccines that use the experimental mRNA technology. Dr. Joseph Ladapo is also calling for doctors to stop recommending these vaccines and instead use others, all because of what he says are dangerous health risks. Dr. Lapido says correctly that they use something called lipid nanoparticles to deliver the vaccine into human cells and may therefore introduce something called contaminant DNA into human cells, of course, that then might cause greater numbers of cancer. Well, the FDA responded to these claims by dismissing all of them, saying that billions of doses of mRNA vaccines have now been delivered without any concern and that his specific issues around contaminant DNA are scientifically implausible or simply misleading. Nevertheless, Florida's top doctor disagrees. He released a statement yesterday explaining how it is the FDA who is, in fact, in the wrong. Meanwhile, CBS News and its medical correspondent, Dr. Selene Gounder, said that while there is no evidence to support the Florida's doctor's claim that, quote, formally proving that any biologic does not cause cancer, is a multi-year process because cancers typically develop over a long period, end quote. To which Florida Surgeon General and others say, yes, that is exactly the point. Until this mRNA technology and its delivery systems are studied properly over many years and in very small populations, it's not appropriate or medically unethical to allow or even mandate these mRNA vaccines. So those are the quick facts and data about this ongoing debate. Let me offer you my brief analysis and opinion with three things. First, for folks who are interested, there is a non-mRNA vaccine available right now from the company called Novavax. So as this debate continues, know that you have options if you are at risk. Second, and speaking of risk, outlets like NPR have reported that the risk of death from COVID is about the same as the flu, depending on the strain of viruses and the underlying health of the people infected. But regardless, and as a reminder, those folks who are at greatest risk for death or injury from either the flu or COVID remain the same, and that includes the obese and the elderly. Third, most of the press reporting on this latest debate is directed at Dr. Lapido 
And uh, folks are saying that he is spreading misinformation or he is a conspiracy theorist. And that may very well be true. Or it may be true that he is just like Dr. Barry Marshall. He's the Australian doctor who was smeared with this exact same set of allegations for saying that stomach ulcers were largely caused by a bacteria called H. pylori. Now, at the end of the day, Dr. Marshall was right. He got a Nobel Prize for it. But the entire global medical establishment at the time, we're talking about millions of doctors, associations, drug manufacturers, governments. It was they who were saying that he was wrong when it was they who were wrong, universally so. And that's just pretty darn incredible. One guy was right, while millions and millions of very smart people were wrong. So I don't know if that is the case here, but I do know that CBS's medical correspondent is correct that this debate about mRNA vaccines causing cancer won't be firmly and resolutely resolved for years to come. Until then, humanity is part of one gigantic experiment. So good luck. Next up, we are off to Brazil this morning with a warning about how the Islamic terror threat there could metastasize here in the United States. So here's what we know. A Brazilian man was arrested by national authorities recently for his role in a planned terror attack on Jewish targets in that country. Mr. Michael Messias was interrogated multiple times before he eventually fessed up, saying that Iran's terror group Hezbollah offered him more than $100,000 to either murder Jews or blow up certain targets affiliated with Israel or the Jewish people in his country. You should know that Mr. Messias uh, was a very unlikely assassin. He was a local musician playing at various gigs, including a wedding, where a fellow Brazilian man approached him. Uh, his name was Mohammed Kir Abdul Majid. He said that he could book this struggling musician for some very lucrative gigs back in Lebanon. So this musician agreed, took his wife along with him. That was back in late 2022. From that point on, things get a little bit hazy. Mr. Messias has been inconsistent with what exactly transpired, uh, but we do know this. He was offered cash to kill Jews or blow up Jewish targets back in Brazil, and the money would come from Hezbollah. Brazilian officers, as you would imagine, launched a raid against Mr. Messias and others who were involved in this scheme, which, by the way, included two other Brazilians that Hezbollah has also tried to recruit or successfully did. All of them accepted various amounts of money from Hezbollah, but all of them are promising authorities that they never agreed to kill anybody or blow anything up. So those are the basic facts and data this morning coming to us from Brazil on the Islamic terror threat. Let's talk about what this means for us, pivoting now to my analysis and opinion. So here is something that I know very well. People agree to spy, ladies and gentlemen, or become, say, saboteurs or assassins for a myriad of reasons, but the top three include revenge, ideology, and money. And those three reasons are important for us to remember this morning. First, and most importantly, because America has a lot of radical ideologies that are permeating our society right now. You may recall the one about Arab or Muslim Americans who are supporting Hamas or Hezbollah or Islamic radicalism. About 60% of those folks do, according to the polls that I've shared with you. Plus, we know that we have a lot of people in this country who are struggling economically, and that would certainly include the 5 million-plus illegal migrants who have come to this country over the past three to five years who are utterly poor, and without skills. Now, that does not mean, of course, that these people are terrorists. That is not the point. Rather, it's about risk. It's about the likelihood of people engaging in criminality as they are increasingly economically despondent or poor. 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what open borders and loose migration rules and policies have allowed, a dramatic increase of risk. And by the way, that should mean that our FBI or other law enforcement officers would focus on those people and at risk, but they're largely not. The White House has directed these folks to prioritize their time and hours and money and resources to the non-existent threat of white supremacy. And that means that, that this risk of and including people responding to $100,000 for terror cash and operations, well, that risk is not going away, not anytime soon. It will be the legacy that we deal with for years to come. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks. We'll be right back. Well, folks, by now you know that some listeners like to call me the angel of death because apparently I deliver such bad news on this podcast. Well, if that's you and this podcast keeps you up at night, well, calm yourselves right back down and do so with a comfy bed from Ghostbed. <laughs> yep, it's a company that I think makes the finest mattresses in all of America. And y'all know that is true because I own one. I have the Lux model. That one is designed to help people like me who sleep a little bit hot. But they've got other great models too. There's the classic. Uh, there is the massage bed. That sounds fun. Plus, there's one called 3D Matrix. That sounds scary, but I still want one. It doesn't matter. Whatever model you choose from Ghostbed, just do it. These mattresses are built with high-quality materials, fine craftsmanship, and when you get into that ghost bed, you feel both of those things. And great news, you can get one of these mattresses delivered right to your doorstep. And if that makes you a little bit nervous, you know, to buy a bed without lying in it first, well, I get it. But Ghost Bed has already solved that problem. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns. So, folks, if Brian, the angel of death, scares you during the day, let Ghostbed protect you at night with a great night's sleep. And here's the best part. Get 50% off when you do. Go to ghostbed.com slash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And 50% off your Ghostbed purchase will be given to you, my friends. But you got to use that website, ghostbed.com slash right. Oh, boy. But when you do, you are going to get that good night's sleep that you deserve. I guarantee it. My friends, have you gotten your Factor Meals yet? If not, holy smokes, you should. Factormeals.com is the best meal delivery company in the United States. I promise you this. I have tried the others. These guys are it. They give you more than 35 different meal options to choose from every single week. That includes Calorie Smart, which is a pretty good idea after the holidays. Also, they've got Protein Plus, which is a great idea for after the gym. And even vegetarian options, which is a great idea for people who are crazy. Just kidding. We love our vegetarians, too. Well, anyway, it's all delivered, ladies and gentlemen, fresh, right to your doorstep, never frozen. All you got to do is open the box, and after a couple of minutes of heating, you have got a great meal to enjoy. And that's true for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Plus, they've got some wonderful grab-and-go snacks and some tasty cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. As ever, I've told you this before, I love their pork chops. They've also got shredded chicken tacos that are so good. Also, they've got a new lasagna that is out, and it is top-notch. These meals, folks, really are delicious, and they are a perfect option for either busy people like me or retired folks who just want good, healthy meals, but they don't want the fuss of cooking. 
So support the folks who support this podcast, my friends, and get yourselves Factor Meals at 50% off right now. So go to factormeals.com slash right five zero. That's W-R-I-G-H-T five zero. And you get 50% off. Yeah. Again, that's promo code right five zero at factormeals.com slash right five zero and get that 50% off. But more importantly, my friends, you're getting a meal service that is good for your body and great for your taste buds. I guarantee it. Welcome back to the right report. Let's continue with our news this morning with the latest out of Western Africa. And for this one, folks, grab your maps on your computers, your phones, or in your minds, and come with me to the tropics of Western Africa. It's a region dominated by mostly former French colonies with a smattering of former British territories and one that is technically American, the country of Liberia. But we are headed to three other countries this morning where your taxpayer dollars are likely going to go to fight the war on Islamic terror. And those countries are Ghana, the Ivory Coast, and Benin. And those names might sound familiar. That's because we have been to each one of these before. Throughout the summer and the fall, we spoke of Ghana and the Ivory Coast, mostly because of their global dominance of the world's cocoa supply. And eventually that becomes chocolate. Meanwhile, in Benin, I shared with you back on August 7th how this very tiny little country was battling Islamic radicals to their north, and they were winning all by themselves. No external help from the West. And that is why we are going back to the region this morning. If you look at your maps, to the north of Ghana, the Ivory Coast, and Benin are three countries that we have also visited previously in a region that is known as the Sahel. Those countries are Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger. To refresh our memories on these countries, they have been involved for decades in a very long fight against Islamic radicals affiliated with either Al-Qaeda or ISIS, or branches that are affiliated with uh, those two groups. You may also remember that the French have long been in those countries helping in that fight, but there are some new uh, new junta leaders in those countries of Burkina, Mali, and Niger, and they kicked the French out, and us too, unfortunately. U.S. taxpayers built a $110 million drone base in the city of Agadez, Niger, all to focus on killing Islamic radicals, but now we're down to a, a handful of drones and a smattering of troops. And that ultimately is because those countries have chosen a new partner to work with. Not us, not the French, but the Russians. They, along with their Wagner group, have agreed to take our place in exchange for things like gold, diamonds, and uranium. Unfortunately, though, there has been pretty mixed results involving these Russians and actually doing the job of killing the Islamists. Indeed, the Islamic radicals have increased their attacks over the past number of months and taken more territory. And that has led to an uptick in attacks spreading throughout the region. In fact, that is what I warned you about over the summer and into the fall, that the Islamic threat could spread north into places like Libya or south into countries like Ghana, the Ivory Coast, and Benin. So with that background and quick refresh, let's go to the news. The Wall Street Journal reports that the U.S. Pentagon is in advanced talks with the governments of Ghana, Ivory Coast, and Benin to host a series of new drone bases that, while those drones would be unarmed for now, will give the United States some eyes in the sky and tactical intel for later ground operations. The operations would be mostly led by those local militaries, but possibly U.S. forces at some point down the road. One other thing to note if you look at those maps, you will also see the tiny sliver of a country called Togo. 
They will not have a drone base, at least not at present, but they will likely get some intel to help that country keep themselves safe from Islamic radicals as well. So those are the latest facts and data on this ongoing war on terror in Africa with some very real impacts, ladies and gentlemen, on your pocketbook and certainly the lives of folks in our armed forces. Let me pivot now to my analysis and opinion. So let's celebrate something this morning, shall we? One of the great joys of hosting this podcast and answering your questions and interacting and engaging with you is that we get to news, intel, way before others in the media ever even see it. And that means together, we are able to navigate your world and make very important decisions that benefit you and your families and your businesses. And we do it weeks to months before anybody else. And this story in Western Africa is a great example of that. For longtime listeners, you all found out months ago about this terror threat in the Sahel and that it would likely spread to other nations and why we should care about that. So congratulations to all of us for some great questions and driving this podcast forward with great value. But nevertheless, at any rate, I'm going to keep watching this as ever. I will be looking for the Russians in the Sahel and what they do there. We'll also be talking about whether or when Islamic radicals push into places like Libya to the north. That will then impact oil markets. We'll also watch for whether or how Muslim terrorists leech into places like Ghana and Benin and the Ivory Coast, but also into neighboring countries like Guinea that dominates global bauxite supplies or possibly into Nigeria, which has major oil supplies. As ever, those developments will all impact your pocketbooks, my friends. And with these new drone bases, they will also impact the lives of our men and women in uniform. More to come. Next up, keep those maps out because we are heading back to the Indian Ocean this morning. We've stopped here a few times over the past number of months, talking mostly about our military base on an island called Diego Garcia. We covered that back on October 3rd, in case you missed it. As I briefed you on back in October, that base is incredibly important to the U.S. military and its operations in both Asia and the Middle East. It is also now under threat, as I shared with you, because it is being squeezed by regional developments, including a fight between the governments of India, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives over who has supremacy and overall influence in the Indian Ocean. As you would guess, India would like to remain the top dog in the region, while China is trying to muscle its way in to what is New Delhi's backyard. And they're going to do that either through political influence in places like the Maldives, or through some debt trap diplomacy in places like Sri Lanka. So with that quick refresh and that context, let's talk about today's news. The government of Sri Lanka has rejected a request by the Chinese government to allow a spy ship to dock at one of its ports and operate inside of Sri Lanka's exclusive economic zone out in the ocean. Sri Lanka agreed to do this because of pressure from India. The Chinese government reacted with anger to this Sri Lankan decision, saying that their ship does only scientific research, no spying. But that's not true. The ship that is called Xiang Yang Hong 3 is a spy ship with a focus on scanning the ocean floor, measuring currents and waves, and otherwise collecting intel such that Chinese naval ships and especially submarines can safely operate in the region and ultimately target whoever they would like. As you would imagine, officials in New Delhi do not like that idea. So their pressure campaign with the Sri Lankans, well, it appears to have paid off. Although, perhaps not for long. Beijing announced that they are also in talks with the new president of the Maldives, all to allow this spy ship to dock there and base its operations around that country. No word yet on whether China will get that wish, but we do know this. 
Back in October, I briefed you on how this new president was very pro-China and very anti-Indian. So those are the latest facts and data about this battle for the Indian Ocean. Let me offer my quick analysis and opinion. First, looking at our maps, it is about 700 nautical miles from the Maldives to Diego Garcia. So if that is where this Chinese spy ship gets based ultimately, then rest assured that the Pentagon will have a new challenge and headache on its hands, especially if this Chinese vessel carries a submersible. Second, this ocean real estate, this Indian Ocean, just got a very important upgrade over the past number of weeks and months, given the crisis in the Red Sea. As listeners know, ships are now largely going south of Africa as they go to and from Europe and Asia. And that routing takes them right through this area where the Indians and the Chinese are now battling for influence, indeed right around Diego Garcia. So that means that for America, having a presence in Diego Garcia will be very important, both in the near term and possibly long term, depending on what the Houthis and the Iranians do in the Red Sea. But as I shared with you, access to this Diego Garcia is not guaranteed for us. As I briefed you back in October, the British have leased this to us, and the lease runs out in about 10 years' time. And at that point, there are plans to give this Diego Garcia and some other smattering of islands around it back to the African country of Mauritius, which, unfortunately, is a staunch ally of China. By the way, that is a crazy plan that leftists in the United Kingdom are considering, along with some usually smart conservatives. So to solve this, it means that our White House will need some very good, very strong leadership to keep Diego Garcia on our side and keep out the Chinese, all because that area is now very important for global shipping. More to come on this one, folks. I will be watching it. Finally this morning, we head to the northwest of Diego Garcia, going all the way to Germany. And it has to do with some very angry farmers. But first, let me give you some background. About a month ago, the German government announced that they would begin a series of pretty dramatic budget cuts. And the long story short is they had to. A court ruled that the government in Berlin had violated the Constitution with its spending plan, so they had to find a way to claw back $18 billion, give or take, in savings. So to get there, the Germans decided that, well, they would take from Germany's farmers, promising to, to cut some very important tax breaks for those guys regarding ag equipment. Also, they had to cut some subsidies for farm diesel. Well, the farmers said, absolutely not. And the government initially said, well, too bad. And so the farmers protested. They drove thousands of tractors to and towards Berlin. They stopped traffic, dumped some manure on government buildings and roads. And putting up that stink, so to speak, well, it worked. Yesterday, German authorities backed off most of their planned cuts to farmers. For those cuts that remained, they promised to spread out the pain over a series of years versus next year in one fell swoop. Well, nevertheless, the leading German farming association said, well, that idea of spreading out the pain, that was nice, but no, they would not accept even that. Well, that then sets up a pretty big political fight, which we will see in June. That is when elections will be held in Germany for the European Parliament. So those are the quick facts and data out of Germany this morning. Let me offer you my analysis and opinion. Well, as ever, my friends, peaceful protests work. Getting into some good trouble, that works. And this example in Germany is a good reminder for us, isn't it, here in the United States. So if you've got a tractor, maybe some extra manure, well, keep it at the ready. We might need it. Our election is coming up pretty soon in less than 11 months.
With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is a question today sent to us from a bunch of paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. And let me start by saying that this next conversation is absolutely not appropriate for little ears. And that is because we are going to talk about Jeffrey Epstein. He's dead, but for a dead man, he is gaining a lot of attention this morning. And that is because this week, some records have been released about this guy. As a quick refresh, Mr. Epstein accepted a plea deal back in 2008 related to his pedophilia and a prostitution ring of young girls. He later died in very, very unusual circumstances in prison. But throughout his life, he maintained a long list of very important friendships with people like Microsoft's Bill Gates, former President Bill Clinton, and current CIA director William Burns, amongst many others. And it's that last connection to the CIA that had some listeners asking me, was Jeffrey Epstein a CIA agent or maybe Mossad from the Israelis or another intel service? And if so, what exactly was his role? So let me share what I know and what I assess to be true. To the former, I don't know whether he had an intel affiliation or not, but here is what I do know. First, we know that Jeffrey Epstein was involved in arms dealings going all the way back to the early 1980s, and that included with governments, probably the Israelis and possibly the U.S. government. Second, we know that he had an extremely powerful set of global friends in government, entertainment, and business circles, and holy smokes were these people powerful. Beyond Gates and Clinton and Burns, they included people like Prince Andrew of the United Kingdom or former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, and the list just goes on and on. And here's the key. These people were unquestionably on the radars of intelligence services globally. They had access to very important information or they had access to very important positions that if spies could recruit Epstein and then get to these friends, well, these spies could change the destiny of the world. Third, we know that Epstein had blackmail material on many of his very important and powerful friends and associates. We know that he videotaped some of these guys having sex with children. But shy of that blackmail material, he could also call in some favors. So you put that together and that is extraordinarily valuable, certainly from an intel perspective. Fourth, the U.S. attorney involved in his initial plea deal back in 2008 was a guy named Alex Acosta. He went on to serve as President Trump's labor secretary. Well, what we know is that he and his office broke the law back in 2008 when they gave Epstein what is widely regarded as a sweetheart deal. They charged him with a very low-level set of crimes, and they promised not to prosecute him further. And by doing so, they shut down other FBI uh, investigations into him, which were ongoing. That decision was and remains extraordinarily bizarre. It defies logic, reason, and precedent. Fifth and finally, we know that Epstein's madam that helped him arrange for the girls to visit his homes and on his pedophile uh, island, she was asked about his connection to intel agencies, and she was asked under oath. And she repeatedly said things like, I don't recall, or I have no recollection, or I have no knowledge of that. All stuff that was, well, very vague in nature. So those are the five things that we know 
with sources in the transcripts, by the way, for folks who are interested in exploring those. So taken together, what do all five of those things mean? Does it point to a possible or likely intel affiliation of Mr. Jeffrey Epstein to say the CIA or Mossad or whatever foreign intel agency? I don't know, but I do know this. Intel agencies do very dirty work with very dirty people. So yes, an intel service would have loved to have recruited Mr. Epstein, gotten copies of the videos of these global elites raping children, and then gone to those very powerful people and said, look, stay in power, please. But when I want something done in your country or in your industry, you will do it. Otherwise, this little tape of you doing little things goes public. So folks, any and every intel agency in the world would take that operation any day of the week. That is how the field of espionage works. As a quick aside, the CIA generally avoids using blackmail because it's hard to manage those cases and those people involved, but they do do it sometimes, rarely, but sometimes. So how do we find out if Epstein was a CIA or otherwise U.S. government asset? Well, the truth would require a president with some pretty serious brass stones who would have the power to declassify whatever the relationship might have been, assuming that it was put down on paper. But I doubt it would have been in this case. It would have probably been off books. Most everything about this guy and these operations would have been briefed in person, no phones, no emails or computers, with a very limited number of people knowing about it, very compartmented. So knowing all that, you might think to yourself, well, forget it. It's an unsolved mystery. Let's just give up. We'll never know. That's not my recommendation. Folks, the blackmail material is still out there somewhere in someone's mind, if nothing else. Plus, we know that the elites who were blackmailed, they're almost certainly in pretty important places of power around the world. The point is that so long as somebody has that blackmail material and those blackmailed politicians or powerful people still hold those positions of power in government or industries, you will not firmly control the destiny of your country. Guys like me will. And that's not good. That is not how a republic should operate, at least not one that will last for very long. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you on Monday, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.